welcome to OK Video, coming to you from Calgary, Alberta. I really hope the De Dutch franchise opens a location here because I want easier access to savory crepes. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Rogers Video Store 613, and I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Wait, have you not been to that Dutch pancake place in South Calgary? I have, but it's the only place, and I want like eight of oh, those in the city. Oh, you want there like, to be closer. That's what you're trying to say. Okay, yes. Uh, hi, Ryan here. Excited to be watching some of uh, my favorite sequels, also some of my least favorite sequels in this batch. But most importantly, I'm here, and I'm watching Friends of My Friend Nathan. Watching films. With, oh, yeah, uh, watching not Friends. Films. That's yeah. the worst. I'm so sorry. Why would I watch Friends? Oh, that's okay. Several of these films were about friends, so, well, one. <laughs> anyway. There's friends in all the films, though. I guess so, yes. Friendship is an important theme in uh, this batch of superior sequels. Uh, we're, we're looking at movies that could have been overshadowed by their more successful precursors, but we want to shine some light onto these ones specifically for various reasons. I'll try to justify my case uh, this time around because this is my uh, pony in this race. Uh, we've covered a wide range of movies already. Uh, we've looked at Predator 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Clerks 2, Lost World Jurassic Park. It was nice of them not to have a 2 in that title. I appreciate that. Really? Uh, we're back to that, though. Two yeah, is like, not... I love 2s. Just throwing Jurassic Park 2, yeah. Lost World. Well, Nathan, it, it literally better. has Jurassic Park 3. It goes, like, it gives up its yeah. own thing. They the, try the, to... The well, common thing nowadays is just to put, like, the title of the thing and then put a subtitle because now it's like we assume every movie is going to have a sequel. When you put a 2 on, it's like it was a surprise. Like, you saw Predator and you're like, oh, they'll never make another one of these. And then Predator 2. Yeah, what? Harry Potter 2. <laughs> Harry Potter 3. <laughs> Would have been the way to do it. Uh, but yeah, we're looking at Under Siege 2, colon, Dark Territory, so you also get a subtitle. And they say it a bunch. Yeah, they do say it a bunch. But I, I, I love uh, the story behind this this subtitle, so we'll get into that. Yeah, uh, it's directed by Jeff Murphy, uh, cost $60 million, and made 105. million. Uh, I'm going to assume that's mostly domestic gross, but the internet did not tell me. Uh, it was released July 14th, 1995, which is a few months before Goldeneye, which was key. <laughs> which is very key for plot reasons. Very, very, very key. Yeah. Like, we need to remember uh, that. Yeah. There's uh, there's connections, I guess, sort of. Cousins, oh, yeah. And then say. even, like, Escape from L.A. the next year. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, but anyway, uh, why don't you run us through the summary of Under Siege 2? Okay. So stay with me. Casey Ryback is a former Navy SEAL who now cooks cooks cakes in microwaves that is in 1992 he was on a boat that was taken over by terrorists one of his former commanding officers and another was an acquaintance from his time as a seal this is something we learn off screen <laughs> yeah he killed all the terrorists and quote unquote saved the day then in 1995 casey is on a train when terrorists take over one of the terrorists is very familiar with Casey and his work as a SEAL. The other is a former colleague of Casey's boss slash handler. Casey kills all the terrorists and saves the day, quote unquote, again. Okay, that's the information. Here's what I think. I think Casey Ryback is a man who has lost his honor and is finding ways to get it back. So he creates these scenarios, tricks his friends and former colleagues to do these radical things. Then he flips on them kills them, and becomes the hero. There are no terrorists left alive to tell their tale. All we're left with is Casey's sensationalized versions of the truth. Strippers and cakes? Knife battles? Dangling from mountain cliffs? Unbelievable. 
Casey Ryback is the real villain, just like John McClane. So you're saying there would be like a framing narrative where it's like him at like the old folks home talking about being a badass Navy SEAL and he's just like making up stuff? No, 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 I'm saying like, okay, like at the end of these movies, we never see the end shot. Like you have to assume that these movies are fully from Casey's perspective. So this is like at the end of the The movie, there's no villain to tell their version. He sits down and he's talking to his commanding officers about what happens and he's telling them this version of the truth. But really, he's the one behind the scenes. He's the one that's getting Tommy Lee and Gary Busey to steal this boat. He's the one that's getting Big Ed and the dude from Talk Radio to steal this train. (laughs) Here's the thing. He's tricking these people, and then the version of the movies we're seeing are just his sensationalized report to his superiors. But really, every time he leaves, like in this movie specifically, his niece is uh, being captured by Big Ed. She's being noosed up. Then they leave the room. And all she can do is see him through this slit of glass while he's acting like he's fighting him. But then they immediately duck out of sight. I guarantee you he's down there talking to this guy just being like, okay, so we're going to rough each other up. It's going to look blah, blah, blah. And then he tricks him and murders him because it's Casey like Ryback, <laughs> Casey Ryback is just a man it. who's lost his honor and he's trying to trick people into getting it back. He's creating this false narrative of who he is as a person. He's not okay. He's not a hero in real life. He's actually tricking his friends and becoming terrorists and then betraying them and killing them so he can have this mantle of hero again because he's lost his honor. What is his honor losing from like the first movie? He, he screwed up an operation or something. He punched out his uh he punched out his commanding officer. So he got kicked oh, okay. out of the seals, but this captain likes him and made him so he didn't get honorably discharged. He made him a cook on his boat to serve out his remaining years. But, like, uh, he had lost his honor. He lost all of his respect. He became a, a boat cook. Like, okay. that's a joke. He was the joke of a man. So here he is trying to, like, set up scenarios in which he can, like, become better. It's, it's just like John McClane. John McClane is, like, a quote-unquote New York City cop. What a joke. He's really the man behind Hans Gruber, Hans Gruber's brother, William Atherton. And Timothy Oliphant, he's behind all these guys. He's setting up these scenarios so he can look like a hero. Okay. He's just, just like Man, this I don't bum. know how to pivot out of your like fan theory into like the the action movie screenplays that we're looking at here. What do you mean? Because they're pretty straightforward diehard clones. Yeah, there's diehard clones. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like Casey Affleck, Casey Ryback is clearly just like saw a diehard movie and was like, yeah. I'm going to do this in my own personal life. Okay. Like I'm the big hero. I'm not just some cook scrub. I'm like a real. Yeah, I'm. Champion. I'm like he's yeah. he's lay like imagine him laying awake at night, sweating bullets because he's lost everything he's cared about. When you're a Navy SEAL, that's everything you care about. That's your whole identity, and he got kicked out. Yeah. So here he is, being like he's sweating bullets. Imagine like Marlon Brando in the jungles in Borneo. Like he is fully lost. He's gone. And now he's come up with concocting these ideas to become this like faux hero by tricking his friends into becoming terrorists. So he's really the mastermind. He just then kills them all. And then he walks out of this boat and he tells everybody, he hires a stripper. He walks out of this boat and he tells everyone, hey, this is the things that I did. Because he's got no one else to contract his story. Because he killed them all. Because he killed them all. The counts in these movies are insane. Yeah. (laughs) So. Anyways. uh, Okay. Uh, before we before we get into more, uh, I guess we should just talk about our buddy Steven for a minute here. Steve oh, yeah. Skull, Steven which, uh, Seagal. 
What I up? just used the word buddy, which I shouldn't. <laughs> you I should don't not want. at all. Because before we even started the show, we were talking yeah. about how we should talk about Steven Seagal, and I was like, okay, that's fine. We definitely should talk about Steven Seagal. But like, I was telling Nathan, in all fairness, we aren't Steven Seagal fans. No, uh, fortunately, I guess uh, a lot of the trivia on Under Siege Two specifically is about how crappy he is and how like <laughs> terribly behaved he was with like underage co like co stars and like really creepy stuff oh big time so like jenny yeah. mccarthy tried out for his niece's role yeah and then he said to her in like the audition to strip naked that's and like she why was like, there's no nudity in this part and he's like all. well the nudity's all off scene off screen and it's like cool thanks steven and then like yeah katherine heigl was like 16 at the time and like he was asking her out yeah and then like it's not just like me too movement era like discoveries or anything this has been dogging him for well dogging him this has been like prevalent for like 20 something years oh yeah like he was he was getting accusations as far back as like his original like films type of thing yeah like he's been he was originally a star in the early 90s like honestly thinking like because he's not so popular now like the me too movement has almost been like forgotten about him completely Right, like it, like but, all of his accusation come from well before, like uh, the the like the Harvey Weinstein stuff going on. Yeah, so I feel bad, kind of like putting any kind of positive light on him right now because that's not really the focus of this movie. Oh no, for no, no. Me. Okay, okay. Let's, you know, can we just put this out there right away? I yeah. watched Under Siege one and two again to get ready for this podcast. He yeah. is not even close to being the best parts of those movies. No. <laughs> I so felt like, that way. Yeah. I don't like, I like, I remember being a kid and I watched Under Siege for the first time and I was like, oh man, this movie's awesome. I'm going to go watch other Steven Seagal films. Like this is before Under Siege 2 came out. And yeah. I was like, I watched Above the Law. I watched Out for Justice. I watched Hard to Kill. And I was like, these movies are boring. They're so boring. He is so boring. I never <laughs> yeah. once cared about him. Like I cared more about Jean-Claude Van Damme. I was obviously yeah. a Stallone fan, a Schwarzenegger fan. I cared more about Dolph Lundgren's like solo outings. Like Showdown yeah. in Little Tokyo is like a hoot of a movie. Yeah. No, like zero charisma, like no screen personality really. No. Like he's just like, I am tough and I'm like cool yep. in my own head kind of. Yep. Is he the always has that permanent squint on his face. I'm just like exhausted by looking at his face. No, no, yeah. no. So yeah, you and I are not like you and I are not Steven Seagal fans. So when we talk about when no. I talk about Under Siege, I don't think about like I'm thinking about the stuff around Steven Seagal. Like I, he almost is like a negative energy zone because like the first movie is actually kind of great. He's only on screen for like 22 movies, 22 minutes on in the first movie. I, I was reading the IMDb trivia. They say 41 minutes, but even so, like yeah, 41 yeah. out of an hour and 45 minute movie. Yeah, which is ostensibly starring him, and he's, like, on the poster and everything, and it's like, he's in it, he's important, I guess, but, like, we're not really spending a lot of time with him, lines No, 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 because we're sitting with Tommy Lee and Gary Busey way more in that movie. Yeah. And they're having a Um, hoot. Yeah. I, okay, we'll we'll get into some of the first movie stuff, but like kind of with your Predator Two story of like how you were introduced to that movie and like stuff, I want to get into like what happened with me and these movies. Oh sure, yeah, go ahead. because I feel it like grounds what why my perception of these two is very different. Uh, like I, it was, it just kind of brought me back when I was like a little kid. There'd be like you know we go to the video store as a family and like oh I'm gonna rent you know Robin Hood or something Disney's Robin Hood. 
And then my dad would rent an R-rated action movie for himself to watch. And I am six years old, so I'm not going to be able to see that, right? <laughs> but with this movie specifically, I remember like going down into the basement like a bit later and this Under Siege 1 is on. And all I see is like glimpses of like Steven Seagal with like two submachine guns just like shooting with like crossing them in front of him and like blasting all around. I was like, what is this? And then it's like, Nathan, go upstairs. It's a bad movie. Oh, okay. And then like run away. So <laughs> I'm not allowed to see this. And then later, I still get, like, my dad's review of this movie somehow. Like, I remember him talking to me and being like, like, because he's a big Tom Clancy guy. And he's like, there's this scene in this movie that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. They, like, just try to land a helicopter full of guys right on the boat. Like, they would use frogmen. They wouldn't do that. That's, like, the dumbest thing to do for, like, this operation. And I was like, okay. So, like, little kid me is getting, like, adult feedback and is like, this is a dumb action movie. This is stupid. It's like, oh, okay. And then years later, like on a channel or something under siege two is just on. And I'm just like, okay, well what's going on with this? And I just like kind of fell into watching it and had a good time. So like I had like a negative introduction to the first movie and like just a, oh sure. This is making tonight more fun. Like with the second one. <laughs> so that's like how my wires got crossed on the two. Yeah. Yeah. So so, yeah. like, mine's mine's almost the exact, like, this is, so my version of watching a lot of movies is, is out of order, right? Like, I I saw uh, Predator 2 before I saw Predator. I saw Alien 3 before I saw Aliens. I saw a bunch yeah. of movies out of order, and that kind of, like, skewed my view of the world. Under Siege yeah. is one of the movies where I actually saw first. I saw okay. Under Siege, and then I remember going to Blockbuster and convincing my dad to rent Under Siege 2 that came out and I didn't even know it was a thing because I was so excited. I was like, Oh, under siege too. I love under siege. And so I got my dad to rent it and we watched as a family and we were all like, Ugh. (laughs) like one big sigh as a family. Right. Which like, I get that, but like, that was my introduction to the formula, Mm -hmm. I guess. No, no, no. Like I totally get it. I totally get it. My, like I'm forgiving a predator two's problems because it was like, that was my first Predator foray. Like, I just saw yeah. a Predator right after oh, that. Oh, what a cool concept. This weird alien just hunting people. Yeah. Like, whatever. It's like, yeah, it's got a two on it, though. Like, obviously, <laughs> this has been looked at. Yeah, but, like, but when you're watching know. something on TV, you have to then go to the newspaper, flip to the back, so and, like, and find the channel and be like, oh, two. So, like, when you're watching stuff on TV, you're just flipping. You're like, you're oh, like, oh some crazy this. train, like, hostage movie or whatever. It's yeah. just on. Exactly. Like, you, don't, you don't necessarily immediately know the title of the film. Right. Especially when you're like grade three. I was grade three, man. I didn't know to go research. Like pull up the internet. Like, well, what movie just played on Spokane Fox channel on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah. So that was my kind of like sweet introduction to this movie, which is why it kind of took root more so than the first movie. Sure. Uh, And then eventually I did see the first movie, but it was kind of like, well, this is now in contrast to something I've already seen. Also, like, I have this typecast thing I do. Like, it, it happens with uh, certain actors and stuff. If I've, like, really latched onto a role for them already, I don't like seeing them being a villain and being defeated. Wait, wait, so, wait. like, who? Uh, Tommy Lee Jones in this case, right? Like, I like Sam Ger- Gerard from He's Fugitive a villain already. in that movie. Well, but he's, like... He's, a, Cat he's an antagonist the entire time. He's an antagonist, but like he's got a lot of good stuff going on with him, Have right? You, man, you need to see more Tommy Lee Jones movies. He was a villain in my mind. He was mind. a villain a lot. He was yeah. a villain in my mind more than he was anything else because 
I saw Cobb far too young as a as a child. My dad wanted Cobb? to show me Cobb, like the life of it's like a biopic of the baseball player Cobb, who was like oh, a baseball okay. villain. Like he would put nails in the bottom of his shoes and slide into bases feet out. So he would Whoa. stab people, and so guys would get out of the way. Like he cheated nonstop. He was just a villain. And he's Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones plays him. It was like his like early nineties oh, turn of him. My dad showed me this movie because he's like, "Oh, you love baseball? Come watch." And it's like yeah. very violent and a rough movie to watch. Crazy. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, no, he's like Agent K or whatever. Like, no, he's, he's... also then Two Face. Like, like in my mind, I, yeah. <laughs> in my mind, like Two Face and Under Siege, Tommy Lee Jones. It's the same energies. I guess. I don't know. I, I like, no, like for some reason he's like permacast is like a cool dude to me. Sure. So I, Hey, I mean, obviously yeah. as I got older, like agent K became a thing and that's when nuance ans- entered my brain. So I was able to be like, Oh, I like Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. Cause he's a right. nuanced guy, but like, like in no country for old men, he's also like, he's the problem is he with the that best movie. cop in the world. Yeah. No, he is just- the, He's like, we've talked about this many times. Like the only character in that whole movie that doesn't like move away from their like code from their implicit internal code is Anton Chigurh. Yeah. He's always absolute. Everybody else breaks some moral decision in their code. Makes a compromise or kind of goes back on a value or something. Yeah. And they die or they end up losing in the end. And so like Tommy Lee was 100% that because he's just like the worst cop. I don't want to go and investigate. Yeah, yeah. Any more bodies out there? But no, I know it's it's just for some reason I couldn't like get behind him being defeated by Steven Seagal is what I'm saying. Oh, you know, I totally like, okay. I, I'm getting that more now, and I I can because I do this with Bond villains too, where I'm like, no, I like this actor more than I like this actor playing James Bond right now, so I don't care which one if Jonathan he succeeds. Price? Uh like Kristoff. Uh, I like me some Kristoff Waltz just as a dude. Oh, okay. you know. But that was like, a really bad James Bond movie. It was not a great. You're you're right. <laughs> it's a little too long. I finally watched it. Uh, or you know, or our um, our Anton Chigurh, like Aviar Bardem in in Skyfall. Like I feel like that guy's plan should be good. Controversial and he opinion. Should not fail. That's yeah. also a really bad James Bond movie. I know you don't like that one, but yeah. Uh, it's fine. I understand what you're saying. Mads Mikkelsen would be mine. I like Mads like, more hey, than I'm I like. I'm hoping Freddie Mercury pulls it off in this next one. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I like Mads more than I like, uh, Daniel. So I'm, I can get that one, but I think Mads is a good villain. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, Tommy... this happens to me with villains and, and actors. I like, okay. that's what I'm saying. No, no, no. And yeah. that's totally fine. I just, I think it's fascinating because like, I guess I always grew up with a, this like conflicted like version of Tommy because I saw Tommy pretty young in men in black but i also saw Cobb and batman forever and under siege where he plays a villain i just i guess i never really considered him a capable fighter a knife fighter <laughs> yeah so i just yeah. thought like oh steven seagal will kill him because he's clearly the hero okay right but like it's not like the commando matchup you remember the commando matchup with the like the overweight guy with the metal mesh with the chain mail yeah, and then the like Australian versus dude. arnold schwarzenegger yeah. it's like this isn't a contest at all i don't know why we're pretending. but they're trying to like make it it's like they're trying to say like no this is jesse ventura like they're trying to make it that level of like neck not quite up to like schwarzenegger's level but like a little bit below he's yeah. like i've never even seen that guy before and i he swear had, that like, guy got recast or something yeah, I, think I think that's stories. how it went, it went. yeah but anyways yeah. uh tommy lee like okay so my big thing between these two movies there's a couple like very clear like oh this worked in the first movie let's do it in the second movie right yeah so uh the knife battles there's two like <laughs> great knife fights 
in these two movies. Yeah. Tommy Lee and uh, uh, Steven Seagal's knife fight is actually legit really good. Okay. And we get to see a little bit of this from Tommy Lee in The Hunted, because he also has a really good knife battle in The Hunted. He has a great knife fight in The Hunted. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, he, he does a really a really good job. Like, he's very intense. You can see Tommy Lee being that really intense person in this knife battle with Steven Seagal. And they're... Mm-hmm. Big Ed doesn't live up at all. Like, at all. His <laughs> battle with Tommy... Like, I felt they... First of all, I thought they did Big Ed dirty, because, like, all of a yeah. sudden, out, out of nowhere... He Steven Seagal goes into this like like super like speed like combo up punching like, super like yeah. street fighter nonsense. Yeah. He had a super combo and he just goes like. Anyways, it's fine. Let's start at the very beginning of this movie. I, I did break down the plot a smidge in my summary. Okay. Okay. Uh. Well. All right. So this movie is centered on a satellite. Uh, that is getting launched at the beginning of the movie and looks terrible. It's okay. The the, the toy space shuttle they use uh, it's to so like good. establish it. It's so good. It's so that opening corny. scene, Nathan, was just yeah. like, man, this is really ambitious for a sequel to a Steven Seagal film by like marrying like oh man, marrying like classic uh classical music to a yeah. setting to a dawning sun over horizon of earth as a space satellite moves through the air i was like yeah they're really doing uh, as 2001 no, like, as soon as i clicked on the movie it was like why is there a rocket ship oh yeah <laughs> this movie has to do with like an evil satellite yeah. i f- i was like waiting for trains but it was like <laughs> it's 2001 they're doing a 2001 homage in under siege 2 dark in territory under siege 2 Yes, they are. Uh, and yeah, just low frame rate, weird CG looking satellite. It looks really yeah. corny. Okay, but then uh, they made they made choices. Okay, I totally agree. It didn't look good, but I think it looked great in 1995 that wasn't yeah. Jurassic Park or ILM type of thing. But yeah. they made choices on how this <laughs> thing moved. And it's very like every time it's shot out of its like butt, it was like a spider. Like they literally made... They're like, we can't make a good-looking satellite, so we might as well make it look menacing. And they like, they give it its its arms, and every single time the arms like they uncoil, and then the arms yeah. move at the same time as the thing blasts. And you're like, when it like shoots its beam or whatever, it like yeah, <laughs> like has these spider legs that snap. It's funny. It's so it's like this is it's like somebody. Okay, so uh, a big a big behind the scenes thing. So this is a movie called The Dark Territory. Yeah. That they. Uh, to a prospect script written by some dude that we don't care about and another dude that I care about a lot. So I like yeah, quite a I, bit, Matt Reeves, one of yeah, his I early writing his scripts. Like, so Matt Reeves, yeah. who uh, went on to work on Felicity, did uh, Cloverfield. He wrote Clover, Cloverfield, directed Cloverfield. Uh, yeah. Did the second and third of the Rise of the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Mm-hmm. Type of thing. He's working on the new Batman. Um, anyway, so he wrote this prospect and then... They were like, oh, we need another Under Siege movie, so let's take this script, similar to what they did with Die Hard 2, let's take this script and turn it into a Casey Ryback film. So they got Brian Hengelman to do a little bit of, like, script doctoring to to make it work for... Like, incorporate Casey into this yeah, story. Yeah, like, some and... of the characters, make some of the characters be characters from the previous film, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, so you got this this great so it, it's the whole concept. So because it, it really like this satellite concept thing, this weird sci-fi concept doesn't yeah. really fit well within the like under siege first movie. Like the first movie is just no? like they're just okay. like terrorists going to steal bombs, like missiles, to sell to the black market. That's all it is. Oh, okay. It's a decommissioned I mean, like navy navy boat. 
that's going to go on its last voyage that they go and take it over and they're going to go and take the, the nuclear missiles and sell them on the black market. That's all. Okay. I mean, this ultimately boils down to a money scheme too for this evil tech guy. It does, but tech guy. at the center yeah. of it is this like crazy tech where it's like the satellite that can shoot a beam to Earth to create uh, earthquakes. earthquakes. <laughs> Seismic events. That is yeah. like literally a James Bond concept. Like they literally... Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, like this This is honestly, yeah, like such a James Bond villain type like scheme it, it, in t- to the point where it's basically like almost a version of what Goldeneye is doing with like Alex Trevelyan and that evil satellite. And that causes like EMP pulses that wipe out all electronics or Which whatever. Which is like, they somehow. And sort of cause explosions and earthquakes, but not really meant to. This is what's crazy. Because you know? we have to remember like this is like a few, mo- a few months before Goldeneye, right? So at this yeah. point, everybody would have expected like this to be, this is what a, a typical James Bond movie would have been about. So if yeah. you were to tell people that went inside Under Siege 2 that James Bond was going to have a less silly version of this movie, yeah. a more serious, everyone would be like, that's stupid. It's James Bond. Of course, they're going to have like a laser in space. Like the more outlandish, like there's been volcano yeah, bases. Exactly. We've already been in space. But also, it's like, no, it's James Bond movie that actually made this thing like an, an actual thing. A, send, a satellite sending an EMP to Earth is like, that's technology that could that's happen. real. Like, yeah. <laughs> we have EMPs. We don't have beams that create like falsely create earthquakes yeah so i don't know i kind of love the absurdity of this laser beam oh sure (laughs) but yeah it's fun it's definitely crazy this movie though like the first like five minutes i thought i'd done some firebirds business like again (laughs) because i was like this is a horribly trashy joke that they start with like when they get the satellite online Mm -hmm. the first thing they do is like zoom in on a naked lady and go hey and then you get these like four four giant pixels that represent yeah. their nipples, and I'm just like, this is the worst oh, joke. This is a real, this is bad a real bad joke. Right but at here. least, at least, yeah. the movie was smart enough to put a female like in the yeah. room and just giving everyone the dirtiest of just looks, dirty looks, and then like she gets kind of like asked out by her boss, and she's like, no, no, that like, that's the thing. That's the boss that's from the. He's one of the only few carryovers from what the first movie to the second. Oh, that guy yeah. really? Okay. He's in the first movie. He's he was like. Casey Ryback's handler or something like that for the news. Okay, season. okay. Anyways, yeah, there there's just like, oh, there's like sort of awareness here of like having a person at least call out that this is like sexist in the scene. That's weird. Yeah. And then she she's like a, one of the techs or whatever that works here and like she gets on this train and she has codes or whatever that yes. will allow this whole thing to happen. Uh Kurtwood Smith is our kind of general guy at the satellite at base. At the beginning of the movie <laughs> And then yeah. he completely seems to leave in the third act when they were they get the two bigger generals from the first like movie. Like the chain of command changes well, those around. Those two generals are again from the first movie. Oh. They're the exact same lame. generals that are in the scene, like working with Casey on the boat. Like it's like Kurtwood was a placeholder, and then all of a sudden they're like, let's give all of Kurtwood's lines in the sec in the third act to these two guys. Yeah. That that makes sense, I guess, but that's disappointing. It was disappointing to me to see him kind of get demoted. Like once he's screwed up this whole satellite operation, you don't really get more Kurtwood dialogue. No, and I was like, don't. I want Kurtwood speaking right it's now. True. It's, it's but, true. Oh, well, soon to go uh, on to become Red Foreman. Very soon. Yes. After this. Yeah. Later uh, this, this decade. Yeah. A couple of like highlights for me. But again, yeah. I'll get into why they were like they were highlights at the beginning and not highlights at the end. So I thought that. uh Eric Bagaz, Bagosian, the guy from Talk Eric Radio. Bagosian. Yeah, yeah. Bagosian plays Travis Dane. Man, his energy at the beginning of the movie 
yeah. is so much fun. Oh, yeah. Just maniacal chewing up stuff. Oh, there's this bad scene. Bad jokes. There's this yeah. scene where the camera, he's looking into the camera like it's the talk lens and it's got this fish eye and he's maniacally like punching in the numbers to kill people, blah, blah, blah. And he's having a blast. That energy just completely dissipates as the movie goes on. He's just really boring by the end. Like Everett kind of becomes the main like antagonist. Or yeah, but like his, even just the energies yeah. on how he's reading the lines starts mm. like he's just less. He's way more cartoony at the beginning. And by the end, because the movie forgets about him, he doesn't even like, eat up his scenes when he is like at the center of it as the movie. goes. Yeah. On. Like the villains kind of start getting shoved aside in favor of just the action scenes and whatnot yeah. as we get closer to the finale, which has quite a finale for me. <laughs> but I'll I'll get to it. Uh, but uh, but then you I do, still I you, sorry yeah. you do have Everett McGill. You got Big Ed from uh, yeah from Twin Peaks, which is a, which a dude like love Everett McGill. Love like had like fun times with this movie over the years. Didn't really tie them together yeah. for some reason. Like it was just like. Oh, wow. The guy who's just like the perfect henchman in Under Siege 2 is Big Ed. How crazy is that? But he's like, like, he's just. But that's the thing is like the movie. Okay, this is what frustrates me about the movie. The movie does yeah. set up that he's kind of like the big, strong henchman. But by the yeah. end of the movie, he is the big bad. And it's really frustrating because like at least the Tommy Lee Jones is the big bad and at, throughout the whole film. And he's mm-hmm. a capable fighter. So like Travis Dane couldn't put up a big fight against Steven Seagal. Right. You but, have like your tech, like evil villain, like a uh, guy. And yeah. then you have the tough guy. Well, and that, but that's like, the thing that you, you have both. that in under siege as well, because Gary Busey represents the military side and T- Tommy Lee Jones represents like the, the, the scheming, well, the scheming, like over the top actor side, but he's also capable of killing people because he's an ex agent himself type of thing okay so it's just yeah, what is fun. what is Busey's like role in the first movie really i just remember him wearing a dress or yeah, something. yeah so he's like the lieutenant like he's the second in charge on the boat like i forget what it's called that's why i didn't use his title in the intro okay. sum- summary he is oh, commander like trader on board kind of thing. yeah he's the like he's the second in charge to the captain he's the main trader he feels like uh like in his last psych report from the captain that captain recommended that he has a psych report type of thing mm-hmm. but because he's clearly gone crazy nobody likes him everyone hates him he's mainly there just so he can become captain of the ship for the like few hours that they're captaining it before they leave off with the money he's crazy oh, okay but he's like gary Busey. uh did right. you read in the notes how gary Busey was hired for this movie yeah i like, don't what know a what dumb to think story. about this i don't even know if we, how how could this be true like how could yeah. a casting director what terrible casting director would sit down and cast as the main villain like a per, a character that was already killed in the first movie. I don't even think it was for the same character. I think it was for Big Ed's character. Okay. I think it was just they like, casted the same what? actor. Gary Busey was already in the first one. We can't do that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do my homework at all. I just it wasn't even like that many years earlier. Like it was like only a three year turnaround. That thing. That's not a crazy <laughs> amount of time. Well, wasn't it also like a producer or something was really excited yeah, John about having Peters. Busey back? Do you, have and you heard like, anything about you, John Peters? Before is he one of the crackpots in Hollywood or what's... <laughs> well, he's a crazy okay ex boyfriend of uh, Barbara Streisand and hairdresser okay he somehow got into producing films he was given the rights to he bought the rights of Superman oh he's this guy <laughs> and like he did the Star is Born and he eventually like led to like after the two brothers like left the Superman franchise. 
Yeah. He's also the producer of Batman. Like, he's one of the first producers of Batman. He got the... In 1989. He okay, just became, okay. like, this, like, this powerhouse. But anyways... Is, so this is the guy, like, Kevin Smith is, had to work with, right? Yes. Like, that documentary we alluded to last time? Yes. Or, like, oh, a couple of episodes ago? Yeah, okay. yeah. Exactly. He's the one that was like, I want... Well, he, the bigger run is that he... When he... Yeah, he asked Kevin Smith to make uh, a movie where Superman's dead for most of it. Or depowered. Yeah. And at the end, it ends with a giant spider. Yeah, that's like it has to have that. Yeah. It's like oh, okay. That is I'll John Peters. Can do. John Peters, who like he owns the Spider-Man idea. He owned uh, uh, Batman, so he did Batman and Batman Returns, and then uh-huh. he wasn't on anymore. But then he went on and did Superman. He did Superman Returns and Man of so, Steel. Yeah, he's just like spinning up movies, but he's not actually watching them or no. like thinking about them. He's sometimes like <laughs> an over over heavy handed producer. Type of yeah, thing. but he had like yeah. he was just like anyways his his tale is crazy. At one point he was producing this movie. He wanted his buddy Gary in it. They passed, and so he just left and didn't end up producing this. Film. But he, it was like a pay or play thing, right? Yeah. So he's like Gary Busey still big, cashed a check for that this. That was big in John Peters films because famously Tim Burton and Nick Cage walked away with ten million dollars each for yeah. their Superman role that never happened because the like they both made ten million dollars for developing Superman for a few months. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Really good spending. Anyways, <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, I I briefly want to touch on Casey here for a second because sure. like, there's a scene where he just kind of leaves a bunch of chefs to die, but he like there's a split second where he says like take cover and then like runs away, <laughs> and then everyone gets shot to death, and it was just like, well, I guess they put this in because like he tried to help them, but he really doesn't do a great job at saving people nope. in this movie. Like the movie, like, the movie ends with a big like the hostages are saved and everyone cheers in like the main command room type of thing. Yeah, but like nobody talks yeah. about like all the hostages that were killed because Casey sucks at or his like, job. Our tech lady and her boyfriend from like the lab or whatever, they just get like thrown off a bridge yeah. and die. Oh, like yeah. it was gnarly. no, no, it was like. It was like the most like I felt it was so mean spirited to give us this main. Okay, so it's a captain. What's her name? She's a captain. Captain Linda uh, Gild Gilder. Gilder. Okay. Anyways, we're we're like with her a lot in the movie. Like we're with her in this command room at the opening scene where there these two like bros are looking at a naked girl and she's disgusted. Then as she's yeah. leaving, she gets hit on by this guy. I felt the movie yeah. was trying to like give us some like give her some like character. Well, yeah. even to make a commentary on like. On like toxic Hollywood, like toxic masculinity stuff. Like we're or supposed to be like this, this is something. disgusting. So, anyways, right, we go yeah. with her. She goes on the train. She meets up with her like lover, who's like another captain, and they're in the midst of passionate throws. When the bad guys show up, they torture eat them by like threatening to put this like hot needle thing through their eyes to get the codes yeah. from each of them. And they yeah. both give, and they give their codes. And after all of that. She's just tossed out a door and lands like roughly into like just we're with her the whole time while rocks. she lands into these rocks and you're like, this is so mean spirited for a yeah movie. like I mean I guess it establishes like no these villains are like serious I like sort of but it was but I was caught thing, off like, guard yeah. this isn't this this shouldn't be that type of movie like when there's like civilian casualties it's off screen and it's not never really super gratuitous unless it's like a Paul Verhoeven film and he's telling you something. 
Or I'm thinking of like Gary Oldman in Air Force One, just like shooting a person, like yeah. shooting a woman in the head, yeah. which happens. Yes. Like, but it's like, wow, that's like a level of severity that like Under Siege Two Dark Territory may not like warrant. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, you get like a shot of Casey going like, oh, like he couldn't catch her or yeah. something when it happens, but that's it. It was just like, okay. I guess that's that with those characters. Yeah. And it's, then we move into just, you know, yeah. like the rest of the hostages are just kind of in this car for most of it. Yes. And they're there. And they're fun. Uh, uh, okay. We get next, Morris Chestnut. But yeah. Morris Chestnut. Yeah, he was fun. Like, I don't care too much. Anyways, the next big piece that like, this is the one that like, I was like, oh man, I, this is the first time I've really like seen and recognized him. Jonathan mm. Banks is in this movie. Yeah. No, he gets like one key moment, really. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think he's just driving the train for the rest of he the does, movie. He does, but he has that great to scene. his doom. He has yeah. that great scene where he like he kind of walks up and like, hey, there's uh, some dead people. There are dead bodies on the tracks. And the guy and the conductor's like, where? It's like, yours. <laughs> no, it's like, wait, it's like right here. And then yeah. he like shoots them or whatever. It's so great. It's like, he gets there's been a shooting. This... Who? You. You. <laughs> or something. Like there's just been yeah. like this this great line delivery. He gets a chance to do something. I don't know. Yeah. And then he just puts on a conductor hat and is in like the front of the train. It's just I totally lost track of him for like most of the movie. And then the end of the movie is like both. There's two trains heading towards each other. And he's just like dutifully piloting the train to his own death. Like, there's a quick shot of him, like, still at the helm. And I was like, what were you doing? <laughs> like, you were just going mean, Casey, the train? Here's the thing. Casey didn't tell everyone the plan. Everybody in their heads thinking that they had an escape plan because they were with Casey. And right. Casey promising. It's like it's like the Joker in Dark Knight promising every guy, if you betray that guy, I'll pay you more. You betray that guy, I'll pay you more. But at the end of the day, he just kills them all because that was his always his plan. Like, it's all a short circuit to, like, get them all to kill each other. Yes. Like, he, Casey's plan is to, like... All of them were to die. Like in uh, Travis's Dane mine, it was going to be just Casey and him surviving. He was, everyone else was going to die. But then Travis right. Dane dies. Like Casey promised yeah. them all different. Th- in my theory, Casey promises them all different things. And so Jonathan Banks has no idea that there's this train full of gasoline coming at him. Like, oh, we switch tracks onto a train? Like, no, no. He mine? just doesn't oh, know no. that this train's coming towards him. Like it kind of, it's around yeah. the bend. Whereas like Travis Dane knew that this train was coming. Yeah, it's just like it's the it's the Joker scene where it's him like telling betray all your henchmen. Yeah, yeah, but like the henchmen think that they're gonna be like I'm gonna if I if I'll kill you to get your cut and then you'll kill and then the next guy's like yeah but I'm gonna kill you to get your cut of that guy's cut like you know that it goes in that trail. Yeah, yeah. There's some fun just like one off henchmen in this too. There's like a guy with like a like milky eye and like a big mustache that just gets like horribly cut up, but apparently too horribly to like be shown. Like that that's one of the like NC seventeen, like we had to cut this mm-hmm. moments or something. So you get you see his wrist get slashed or whatever, and then it's just kind of tussling, and then we see his dead body later, and it's like way more gruesome than what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to wonder what went on. Uh but yeah, I, d- I do wanna get into Everett McGill's like final knife fight because this has always been a big like ugh like sticking point with this movie for me because he seems so capable as a character, mm-hmm. like for all of this movie. And then when he's like finally encounters Steven Seagal, he just can't deal with him like waving his hands around in a square. That's Steven <laughs> like, Seagal's like that's like Aikido. Yeah, like that's his yeah. like his like myth around Steven Seagal is like he like his Oh, you can't touch him. Yeah. Yeah. 
And like the, it was all set up. To be fair, the movie does set up a little bit where he he's talking to Steven Seagal's like Ryback's niece and being like, "I've never been scared of a man before, but I'm scared of your uncle." Type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So they hype up Steven Seagal to be like the ultimate knife fighter or whatever. Yeah. But the actual cutting and like pacing of this fight is just like not doing ever oh, like, any favors. At least, he just looks like a goof. The know? one thing I'll give John McClane, John McClane walks away cut up from his battles. Like he's just, he has that everyman quality. Casey yeah. Ryback is like trying to be John McClane if he mixed with like Stallone Jack and Schwarzenegger Reacher or something. Type of thing like he's where, just incredibly competent. Yeah, like yeah. he just walks away with a little cut over his brow or he gets literally shot in the shoulder and then he makes a joke to Morris Chetnot and be like, you think that's a bullet, like a, a gunshot wound? With a sniper rifle. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like, you think that's shot? That's not shot. Yeah. And it's like, as he taps okay. it with his gun <laughs> pistol hand, like holder, like he taps so, it with his pistol. Went right through. Yeah. And yeah, he like, like he's just got this like invincible, like, yeah, Seagal kind of retooled this movie to like make him more badass, yes. which is so lame. Because well, like, I guess the original Matt Reeves like treatment was more John McClane. Like he alludes to John McClane specifically as being like what he was going for for the hero. Yeah, and then it's like they stripped all of that out and just made him this like you know god character. But that here's can't the thing: stopped. this yeah, this as an idea works for me in other films and doesn't work for me mm-hmm. in this one because I don't think Steven Seagal's like his arm motions would stop a guy like this. But I yeah. believe when I watched The Equalizer. That like Denzel sure. Washington can totally own a whole entire oh, room. Oh, he could of people. kill all of these idiots in this room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's all about how it's handled because yeah. like they establish Everett as just like that guy's intense. Like I'm kind of like worried about this guy to the point where I at least want a big the hunted style yeah. showdown. That's like, like tough. In all fairness, you know? like I said, the fight scene between Tommy Lee and like steven seagal was way more intense like it was like they were they were actually getting each other like with the trading knives. blows yeah and, and it was okay. like way more clashes of the knife which is actually a pretty cool like idea when you think of like there's like it's sword fighting but with knives like yeah that's terrifying small point of contact yeah um yeah so the knife fight always kind of let me down with uh in regards to everett's character because i i generally like him as just the intense heavy throughout most of the movie yeah and then they do do him wrong in, oh like, but nathan like minutes. okay yeah. so the knife fight was terrible but the thing that got me absolutely like i was laughing so hard was yeah. like the button smashing i got the super combo punch and kick routine that Steven Seagal was, in it too. was getting yeah. onto Everett in like a two, like two or three seconds of quick edits. He got punched like twenty or thirty 20 times. times. So the point <laughs> that like Everett McGill was like super bloody Boom. battered and stuff like that and punch drunk, and you're like, where did this come from? Like, when has Casey Ryback ever shown this type of like ability to like all of a sudden like like Unleash Mortal Kombat a huge like, combo? You just needed to have a voice drop and be like, finish him. Right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Mortal no, it, it's over the top how it wraps up. Uh, I guess just getting into some other action scene moments, like whenever there's action happening hanging off the side of the train, yeah. I couldn't deal with like how slow this train looked. You know, it was just like, I guess it's moving. <laughs> like, you but have like, the dudes, bad guys. Like, here's like the bad guys don't the want the train to move super fast because it's moving through dark territory their whole entire shtick is that they're lost in dark territory if they go yeah, faster they're off the grid yeah yeah but it just like you know a year later is mission impossible's bullet train action <laughs> yeah, and right. it's like 
whoa, dude, like this train's going crazy fast. He took off his tie and it's gone off the screen. Yeah, but that like, was a year know, later, like, Nathan. They needed Under Siege 2 to happen. Did you know actually Under Siege 2 did like revolutionize the technology though, right? Really? Like camera tracing, like tracking. Like they put, oh, okay. like as a camera moved, they would have the background change movement pacing. Oh. So you have to imagine like they're going through the thing and like, and the camera's sitting on someone and there's a background of like the moving scenery. If the camera moves with the moving scenery, the background would technically slow down a smidge. They had the uh, like, tennis ball set up to keep tracking. They actually did like okay. do like, some. You mean like the background, like the back plates of like the windows yes. and stuff during most of the interior action? Yes. Yeah, that stuff looks okay. No, but I'm saying like, that, was, like... that was a revolutionary thing. All the, like Mission Impossible came out a year later, but Mission Impossible was like important. I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nobody's arguing it was just... Under Siege 2 is important. I enjoy it, but hey, yeah, it's not. And that's important. fine. I'm not saying it's not a good movie. It's just not important. Mm-hmm. It's not important. If this movie, if this world ended right oh. now, I don't think this would be in your top hundred. No, but man, I love a dated techno thriller. Yeah, like, that's fair. <laughs> like with like all the Apple Newton stuff, and like, oh, I gotta send this fax message to my friend yeah. to like let him know about this satellite. Like, it's just like I. This is 1995 right here, and I love that. Like, it's just. Not cell phones, not anything more high tech than like I have to send a like fax to my buddy. And I love this like cook friend's reaction when he finally sees it. It's just like, what the hell? This ain't a produce list. And then he looks at it. Oh, no, Casey's in trouble and has to like go phone the commanders or whatever. Here's the thing. Like, I, if, if I got a fax like that from anybody in the entire world, I'd have zero clue what to do with it. I like that his like, cook okay. friend knows exactly who to get a hold of in the Pentagon. Yeah, and they put the call through, and it's fine. And, and they just like, oh, the tr- it's on a train. It's on that train. Now we can finally do this yeah, and yeah. move forward with this operation. Uh, but yeah, like he basically has to get the word out that it's being remotely this this satellite's been hacked from a remote location on this train, and then they can finally bomb the train. Yeah, is their goal. <laughs> uh so then then the mission is prevent that from happening like destroy the satellite before it gets to that point where hundreds of people will die Mm -hmm. but at least washington won't be thrown into the ocean via earthquake uh which i want to touch on a a couple of the earthquake scenes because the first one i guess is in china it's like this like uh weapons plant yes and it's just stock footage from some other seagal movie on deadly <laughs> ground on, Dud- on deadly ground was this, a movie about steven seagal is like uh like one of those white dudes who really appreciates like native american aboriginal culture so he yeah. like fights for them and like he's it's all about like oil company Taking coming in and trying oil. to take down like uh like trying to take over the like native, native americans lands. land and he fights yeah. for them against Michael, an evil Michael Caine. Anyways, the the plant in that movie blows up, so they, they just recycled that footage from that movie. They just used some footage of that. Literally, it came out a and year earlier. That's the funny part. Like, it wasn't even, like, a long... It was literally one like year earlier. Like, distant memory. It's like, oh, I just saw this explosion last year. If in you my were a Steven Seagal friend. Steven yeah. Seagal. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then my favorite one, and, like, probably my favorite Eric Bogosian line delivery is... He's paid from by some like German millionaire to like kill a, a, like an ex-wife on an airplane. And he targets this airplane, hits the button and says, boom, earthquake in midair. And it's like, 
That's the dumbest sentence ever. I love it. I couldn't deal with it. It was like, what seismic anything happened in this airplane fuselage that this worked? But it does. He can like snipe airplanes out of the air with this technology and does it again later in an even crazier way. Like but, the stealth bomber, like that's right over the train. He manages to like ace it right before it would destroy the plane, like the train. Yeah. It's just dumb. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, and then is there another earthquake? Oh, the big threat is like a fault line or something under the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. And if it hits that, it'll destroy Washington and like millions of people. <laughs> yes. So the lesser of two evils is to blow up this train and all these people. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> all of this culminates in just this like insane final minutes of racing around and like two trains are coming at each other and like Everett McGill has been dispatched at this point in the lame knife fight. But Bogosian is just like screaming about the satellites and he has this like phone taped to a laptop that <laughs> Casey shoots. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Now they know exactly which satellite it is and they can just hit the self-destruct button. But the final moments of like the trains crashing and he like uh, Dane has been thrown off the train and then he somehow is like still alive and grabs (laughs) Seagal's leg and gets pulled up into this helicopter and then all of his fingers get cut off and there's nonsensical screaming of like Ryback and he's like a fireball. When my cousin and I like revisited this movie, we just lost our minds at this whole chain of events. It was like, what just happened? That was like the most insane, frenetic nonsense ever. And then we just cut to like a gravestone of his dead brother and the movie's over. Well, with like, a really throws... sappy like Frank Stallone song playing in the background. An incredible song that Steven Seagal co-wrote and yeah. like performs on. Yeah, it's about a train. Like It's like the train of freedom or something like the after after the train has gone is what it's called yeah he co-wrote it yeah so this movie like ends on such a hilarious high for me of just like the stupidest thing you ever saw and then this dumb train song so it sends me off on like an okay bit personally i don't know how you felt about the final moments but oh i i was like it was nonsense to me here's the thing I don't dislike Under Siege 2 Dark Territory at all. Okay. I think it's a okay. blast of a movie. I think it's so silly. It's like, it represents like, like I said earlier, like Steven Seagal is in the wrong movie here type of thing. Like anybody, you, oh, yeah. you plunk in Dolph Lundgren, this movie would be better. You plunk in Stallone. You put in like Jean-Claude or somebody, I would be having better. a better time. Yes, Because he has like a more fun energy oh, 100%. himself. Yeah, yeah. You know? But because yeah. despite all of that, this movie has a lot of fun to it because like obviously like Warner Brothers knows they have a hit, so they might as well put some fun things around him. Um, yeah, but at the end of the day, like it's still like that 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 this level of fun that's in this movie is also in this first one too for me. But it's okay. like being portrayed by like Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones, and like Seagal's not there nearly as much, and the action's a little tighter, and it's a little more believable. Like. I had a tough time believing, like, Seagal, who is wearing a girdle in this movie, so he can hold, yeah. hide in his gut, is able yeah. to, like, he's hanging from this cliff by this guy, and he cuts the rope that this guy's connected to, but he cuts the rope, like, an inch below his hands. <laughs> yeah. And this is, like, like, a no high, on this thing this is like, a high fiber tension wire that's, like, he then free, 
wields it up with his bare hands. Just like free climbs up this, up this rope. Yeah. Yeah. With, like with an inch away. Like he has nowhere to put his feet. Like he's just with upper body strength pulling himself up this rope. And I'm sitting here <laughs> being like, this guy's 39 years old. He's clearly retired Navy SEAL. He's got a little bit of a double chin. Like he's been he's a, been a chef for years now. Like yeah, he's he had all that training in his past. There's no way this dude right now, even if he wasn't Steven Seagal, could do this. Then they put Steven Seagal in it, and of course Steven Seagal can do anything, so he doesn't. It just yeah. stuff like that is just like oh, this is so dumb. Where at least with the first one, there is like it's dumb, but it, like you're moving too fast, so you forget about it. Whereas this one's kind of making like it's like the difference between having like a more straightforward like version of it versus the cartoon version of it, like. Yeah, it gets like exaggerated a bit, like the legend of Casey Ryback and yes. like, oh, that dude. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I guess that cook that sort of pulled that thing off. Yeah. So, OK, you wrote <laughs> yeah. you wrote in the notes uh, slow motion question mark. And I actually want to oh. talk about a scene that has not nothing to do with slow motion. OK, OK. In the fight that he has with uh, with Big Ed, uh, his character. Um, yeah. Marcus Penn or Everett McGill has a, he has a fight with him. There's this flip that he does, like what that like classic like I twisted your arm and I flip you, and they yeah. Morris they, Chestnut pulls this move too. Yes. Yeah, but like yeah. Steven Seagal flips Everett McGill, and it's very clear that they they took out a whole bunch of frames out of this scene to make that oh, yeah. flip look so much faster, faster than it is than it actually yeah. would have been because I've always heard from Seagal that. He doesn't do multiple takes if he doesn't want to. If he thinks okay. it looks good, he says it's done. And he, like, directors them just have to figure out how to work around him type of thing. <laughs> and, like, I here I am uh. watching this wide shot of this flip and it's, like, like jump, like, like jumping through. Like, he's literally, like, cut, 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 cut as he's just one long shot. And I'm, like, this is, oh, this is clearly, like. insane. Like, like yeah, Seagal yeah. was, like, I'm not doing that again. You're going you're gonna to make that work make that work in editing and it's yeah. like all right thanks yeah. man <laughs> so like i gotta make this so very difficult clear. to work with yeah you are not a steven seagal fan i'm not a steven seagal fan i said this before the show i, I own three steven seagal films well three films yeah. that he's in these yeah. two i own because i am a fan but i like i like the concept more than i like seagal and i own a kurt russell film that i actually kind of love this kurt russell film because Steven Seagal dies halfway through the movie, and I've like only his heard is almost like stunt casting or yeah. something. I've only heard yeah. nightmare stories from the set of this movie coming out of him. Like, like even though he was only in the movie for half of it, he's just was like, like peak ego, peak like jerk guy in a movie uh. that he wasn't even starring in. Not even in the whole thing. He dies within the first like forty minutes of this two hour plus film executive decision right yeah like yeah just what a weird like i just don't get how a guy with the amount of talent he has <laughs> is so like convinced of his excellence yes. it's like no you're kind of lucky to be in this club right now like you might want to ease up a bit but no immediately full tilt well i think there's a I mixture here the show. there's a mixture yeah. of like he did kind of come out of nowhere and immediately got a yeah. starring role right and then his starring role was a big movie. And then he followed up by three pretty straightforward, cheap, but successful action films. Right. Okay. So you just get this like inflated head. Oh, big it, time. And then you have yeah. like toxic male culture in Hollywood that was already like at its peak in the 80s. 
and he is like producing his own stuff so he's kind of made his own little like sheltered space to oh, do that 100 percent. You know? and like so, yeah. he was being rewarded and then so for other people that they can be humble through all of that stuff clearly here's a guy who already thought highly of himself and then he was being rewarded by thinking highly of himself so he's only going to think higher of himself. well i gotta be more confident and more yeah. aggressive yeah, yeah. So, uh, no. so really like it's Andrew Davis's talent that we're talking about for the first movie. <laughs> really. Oh, a hundred percent. Like as I watch yeah. under siege, I'm like, man, I really like this guy. Cause like, yeah. like next year he went and made the fugitive, which is like a great, great film. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff here, I know he made this really dumb movie called free Jack, mm-hmm. which is really bad, but really funny to me with Emilio Estevez and like Mick Jagger. Mick and time Jagger. Travel. Yes. Yeah. So and, schlock quality, I guess. But he's like largely a second unit director. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It, it's it's some combination of like the techno thriller stuff. I do like the villains in this movie. And it just kind of like I happened upon it. So it had a little surprise factor for me. Oh, sure. So I had no expectations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I still generally like after that rocky first few minutes i got into kind of like a mid 90s dumb action zone and had a pretty good time oh yeah like a lot we've of talked this, about a couple you know? things like you and i know that we've had these conversations around like future future batches what we're going to do and you're big into like one of the batches you really would love to do is like techno like techno action films right like you've oh, already like made a list of punk yeah of cyberpunk or... techno action films and my one that i would love to do someday is like the high concept 90s action film where like yeah. the 80s action film was all about like the star, like the like Schwarzenegger in Commando. It's like, well, what's that movie going to be about? Who ma- what does it matter? Because he's going to fight a bunch of dudes yeah. or something. But like yeah. the 90s happened and it's like it's Stallone on the mountain or it's Stallone as a future or it's like it, high concept became like a con, like an idea. It's it's Schwarzenegger. Like we got to break into Alcatraz because there's bombs. There yeah, like it's or, or it's Schwarzenegger or you're on a you're a convict on an airplane or you're Schwarzenegger and you're an action star from a movie in the real world. Like it, it ninety president is gonna take back his plane. Exactly. You know? The concept yeah. became king and the action star, the person who started it, still mattered, but not as much. Like, I went and saw Air Force One because I love Harrison Ford, but I came out of loving it because it was the president taking on, you know, yeah. the terrorists. Like, get off my plane. Yeah. Like, come on. Exactly. Like, who doesn't go, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> it's just something fun so, about it. This movie, these movies kind of sit, like, this movie kind of sits perfectly within those two things, like high concept action films, cyber, mm-hmm. with cyber connections and stuff like that. So. Right, which I guess is a weird fit for the Under Siege trajectory from the yes. first movie. <laughs> but it's clear, but, uh, like, they were definitely, like, somebody read a Wired magazine article about the future of tech, and they had yeah. to make Casey a tech guy all of a sudden because the villain was a tech guy. Does he do any, like, Nothing. oh, okay. Zero. There's two, there's two, yeah, like, does he do any, like, uh, smarts Nothing. with the radio or something no, in the no, first no. movie? He literally uh, is, like, an analog guy. <laughs> Also, you brought up his like microwave cake, which I did totally laugh at too. It's Here's like, the thing. Oh yeah, elite chef Casey. I Ryback. don't. That's the thing. Microwave I'm not convinced. Cake. Watching the first movie again, I'm not convinced he's actually good because people, everybody, kind of like makes fun of his cooking on the boat. Mm-hmm. And like. I'm like, is he a good cook? Because here's a guy. Because this movie introduces him as like, oh, thank God you're back, Casey. Like, we're trying to run this restaurant, but we can't do it without you. I know, you. but then he goes to this train, and there's literally ovens all around him, and he takes the cake, and he puts it in the microwave for 15 minutes. Yeah, Was that like, does. is that like him being like future tech? Like 
It's like yeah. it's, it's future tech, Casey. Right? Like, no, 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 we don't need an oven. We have a science oven over here. Like the one moment I remember, like, doesn't he make a bomb or something in a microwave in the first movie? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Thing? So the power goes out in the building and uh, on the boat, sorry, and he puts in something into a microwave, sets it to go. But it's one of those dial ones that, like, it doesn't work anymore with new, like, digital ones, but it was one of those dial microwaves. So as soon okay. as the power comes back on, it turns back on. Anyways. And then a guy goes, like, ooh, and then it explodes yes. or whatever. But that's, like, a yeah. classic, like, that's, like, a Schwarzenegger Stallone bit. Like, that's Ubi something. trap yeah. kind of thing. That's not, like, yeah. technology. Like, in this one, yeah, he makes, like, some sort of drink shaker explosion thing yes. that napalm or whatever and torches a bunch of people a lot of great flame suit stunts i guess in this too like uh the stunt team has to really work hard at uh, making everything worked hard in this movie because even like there's so many shots of of sort of like what that's clearly not steven seagal like his <laughs> stunt double was working overtime in this movie man like he that, uh, that guy was running on tops of trains for a very long time yeah no some of those moments are where i'm talking about this like slow motion where it's just like it's not like John Woo smooth or like Matrix or anything. It's like really framey to the point where it's like, this doesn't really make anything look cooler. It's just like a guy jumps from like a train car down and it goes like. Well, it's because like John Woo showed up and he was like, guys, if we're going to do slow-mo, you have to increase the frame rate. Yeah. Like you you slow want to down. see more detail yeah. and it'll look cooler. <laughs> if you, you if you slow down 24 frames a second, all of a sudden you're seeing six frames a second. Like that's like that boom, doesn't... boom, boom, boom. Yeah. What are you enhancing yeah, visually with nothing. that? Like it oh. happens several times in this. Oh, it happens like, so many. Is this many... like a look they were hoping for? It, what is to be fair, on? like for a long time in film, this, is, this would happen where slow-mo meant like ugly footage for a long time. Like, so when John Woo showed, I think we grew up in the wrong era. Like, I grew up disliking slow-mo because, like, slow-mo was, like, overdone in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. But we don't really realize, like, how revolutionary that was because forever slow-mo meant, like, oh, look at this jaggedy piece of crap film right now of just, like, ch 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 And it was, like, no, like, like John Woo, like, Tom Cruise walking through that corridor and having birds fly, flap slow-mo. That's crazy because birds flapping is like a high frame rate nonsense. If you didn't have yeah. a good frame rate, it's going to be like, like you're not. Yeah. It just, it, it doesn't enhance the visual no, at all. It not makes at all. It, yeah. yeah. John, John definitely changed the game a bit. Yeah. But he'd already done that like years before 95. And so, oh, yeah, films, I know. So, but like, yeah, Jap- it's just like, why? we're talking about Japan at this point. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Hong Kong, but yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> And then finally, I guess, like, the violence that happens in some of these shootouts. Like, I was like, wow, there's, like, makeup effects for, like, a dude's cheek exploding. <laughs> like, when they're getting shot in the head and stuff. It's, to like, kind of gnarly But this is what prosthetics. this is what, like, Steven Seagal brought to the action game more than the rest of his, like, compadres did. It's just, like, did. vicious violence. Yeah, like, like Schwarzenegger was able to, would, would kill people in interesting ways. Stallone would, like, shoot giant guns and, like, have giant monologues in the jungle. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme would do the splits a lot and kick people really high. Or roundhouse kicking yeah. and whatnot. But, yeah. like, like this is what he did well. Like, he did, like, gruesome, bloody violence. And that's what or people just, like, loved about his movies. Snapping necks and, like, choking dudes out, I Yeah, guess. and, like, gun, like, knife slices, like, lots of gory deaths, like, stabbing guys. Like, his Tommy Lee Jones's death in the first Under Siege is horrifically violent because he smashes <laughs> like the knife into the top of his head and then 
rams his face into like a computer teleprompter screen and like electrocutes him to death. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I don't want to see that happen to my buddy Sam from <laughs> The Fugitive, so I hated that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's just no good. Anyways, but, but like he it's just yeah. like his movies were like that's what he brought to the like the foray was like he brought ultra violence. But like the non-ironic version because Paul Verhoeven was also doing ultra violence, but his were it was more ironic, like cartoonishly over the top. Sure. Uh the the last thing I kind of want to bring up is like this crazy hostage scene, which is another like violent blast him shoot up thing. It just was like, wow, like this is nineteen ninety five. This is years before you can like play Call of Duty because it doesn't exist yet. This is totally like hitting the same like visceral thrill, I guess, of just like taking down a bunch of dudes real fast in like a crazy frenetic little shootout like it was probably the high point in terms of staging or whatever i thought it wasn't great but it's just like it's 95 you don't have anything else that's like that so that's like why dumb action movies had a niche market i guess oh sure you know maybe why this is a big rental you know but yeah it's just like well i think more why call of duty became a big game because all of a sudden you became this. it's like oh you can just do this now you can just be the guy running through the airplane and shooting the hostage takers and making this fun this is why like like low-key action films are not a big deal anymore they have to go to fast and furious levels because video games aren't aren't even keeping up with that like video games people like oh i can do this in my own house like why would i want to watch somebody else just shoot a gun and kill people yeah, that's like every year one of those comes out. Yeah. <laughs> so several of those. Yeah. So it's just it was like a weird kind of like, oh, yeah, like this would have been really cool for like a little period of time in my time too. like you're 13 or something. This is the only way you can see a cool shootout like this. But now you can like play them. So it doesn't you don't need it anymore. So you don't need Seagal anymore. <laughs> really? It's true. Did you? Yeah. OK, so for research for this, did you? end up reading any of those things i sent you oh like the seagology thing like the david gordon green action no no no. seagology is a book written by uh, a guy named Vern, who is a contributor to ain't it cool news who wrote a whole book about the different eras of steven seagal films and and what they meant and then he even made an update when he went on to do more like this movie came like book came on like the early 2000s mid 2000s and then he did an update for his like direct-to-video like era type of thing. So that's okay. the book. David Gordon Green wrote uh, an intro like, to this book. That like then, the foreword, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that then The Guardian picked up as a whole separate article. And David Gordon Green, being like a pretty prestigious, respected director, talking about his childhood and how much he loved going to see like Seagal book, like movies as a kid. Yeah, it, it made me kind of think, because like I agreed with you that like, we watched above the law and I was like, wow, this is a boring movie. Like, (laughs) this is just a lifeless thing. Uh, It's Andrew Davis and everything, but they just didn't have the scope and the budget to make a movie that's entertaining. (laughs) Like I literally just got rid of it. Like, I just was like, I don't need this movie. Like this is boring. So to hear like, well, if you're a kid and you like snuck into this movie, it was really cool (laughs) or something, you know, like just where you are. Oh, I would say like, it was like, you know, yeah, he was, he, he makes it very clear. Like, he was like what thirteen, and he was sneaking in to see these Steven Seagal films. So I could right. totally be like, I could see myself being in the exact same boat. Like, oh yeah, like I get to sneak in and see these like super violent movies. With well, this like guy. that Forbidden Fruit thing, or me like getting chased out of the basement because like there's too much gnarly shootouts going on down here. Yeah, like 
if you're like, no, dude, like there's some crazy oh, stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> one me. of those for me was like, uh, I think I've probably talked about this somewhere, but like I was given a tape to like record like Tintin episodes, <laughs> but at the end of the tape was like an hour of true lies. And I was like, oh, I'm keeping this. This true is awesome. And I would just watch like the bridge chase scene. Lies. And like the final act of True Lies, the, a bunch. You wait, wait. Yeah. You saw the last hour of True Lies, like more than yeah. this. That's the worst part of True Lies. Nobody likes that. I hour. love the bridge chase though, dude, because it was like, whoa, what is this? I shouldn't even you watch missed it. all the this good stuff, clearly like this, an R-rated movie. Him going down the like skiing on the hill, the whole setup with like his wife and figuring out stuff, like all that stuff. The no chase scene in the mall, where yeah. like he's on a horse following a guy on a motorcycle. And he yep. jumps between buildings. Technology versus horse, like, literally happened on screen. I know. Yeah. Like, years before yeah. that joke happened, too. I know. Um, <laughs> which is probably, I think, has to be, like, on the nose, like, reference to True Lies. Has to be. Maybe. Anyways, yeah. my my Forbidden Fruit was a few growing up. There's only, like, I mean, we as a family sat down. So, I, in grade, in 1996, when Scream came out, I was in grade six myself. And so, my brother mm-hmm. was younger than me. I think he was in grade three. We sat down and watched Scream as a family. So my parents just thought it was a thriller. They didn't know it was a slasher horror film. Had no idea. Yeah. So we watched it as a family. Then a year later, when I was in grade seven, my mom took me to see Scream 2 in theaters. So this is – so could you imagine, like, that's the movies we saw as a family. What was forbidden in my household? Well, I have a story for you. Two movies were forbidden in my household. And I, had, I snuck and watched both of them while we rented them. Uh, yeah. The first one was 8mm. Uh, Oh, no. With Nicolas okay. Cage. Obviously, I was a yeah. Nicolas Cage fan as a kid. Like, I didn't know that I loved Nicolas Cage, but I was loving all the movies I saw with him in it. Anyways, parents rented it. I snuck out of my room, and we were living in, like, a fourplex at the time. So, it was, like, my room was across the hall from my parents' room, and down the hall was the TV. So, I had to go down there. We had this surround sound set up, but I would put, like, I'd plug in headphones and put them on. And I had the, the, the volume so low that I could hear anything else going in the house. And I had my <laughs> hand out and on the, the remote. So that as soon as somebody came out, I'd push a button and the TV would turn on separate from the movie. Like the TV, a TV would switch to, to TV and I'd be oh, all of a sudden yeah. like so watching just, like, a TV show. To, like the weather or something. Yeah, I'd be watching a TV show in the middle of the night. My parents would be like, oh, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I couldn't sleep. So I put these on, blah, 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 blah. TV. Yeah, I was really good at sneaking. So I watched that movie. That movie's dark and messed up. That movie's so messed up. Well, it's like about snuff. Like, <laughs> it's so films dark. And... It's so dark. Yeah. But anyways, the yeah. other one was Wild Things. Parents rented Wild Things. Oh. And I was like very <laughs> interested. That movie was not a healthy one for me to watch as a young child. <laughs> like, no. That got me started on some things. I was like, I'm very interested in what happens in this movie and I can't figure out why. <laughs> it is some like quality trash now. It is some like quality adult. trash. But it is, yeah. without a doubt, still super trash. I watched trashy. that movie like two years ago yeah. again, and it is so trashy. It is so like, trashy. It loves it though, but it's it's yeah, it's. But at least it's like it's going <laughs> for it. Like it's like I really like Basic Instinct because of its trashiness. Like it's so yeah. unmitigatedly trashy. Oh yeah, we keep saying like Verhoeven, like he knows what he's doing exactly. So it's not like a mistake or whatever. No, and yeah. I think I think Wild Things is doing the same thing, but there's some stuff in that movie where I'm like, uh, uh you know what you're doing, but that's. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's low hanging there. Yeah. That's a little. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Anyways. So yeah, I, those are the two movies I snuck as a kid. Violence okay. was a, fine with us. It was sex stuff in our house. Though I was like, you can't watch this because of sex. Right. 
just to just to justify what I was reading from David Gordon Green, because, yeah, it was weird hearing how much enthusiasm he was having for some of this stuff. Yeah, like, I think you grew up oh, in a different okay. era, right? Like there's yeah, we both have people that have been taken down by this like Me Too movement. And at the same time, like we're little kids watching these movies and we love these actors. And all yeah. of a sudden, like you find out years later how shitty they were. Sorry for swearing. Uh, you find yeah. out how terrible that they, they were. And yeah. you're like, yeah, I mean, that sucks. But. I still watched that movie before I knew any of those things. There was no way I couldn't even go on IMDb to read that at the time. <laughs> yeah. so. Like I'm going to yeah. watch under siege and have, and I'm just hoping that Steven Seagal is a nice person in real life, like type of thing, you know? Yeah. He's Casey Ryback, the hero. Yeah. But then the it turns out he's, he's like villain, a giant, really. like giant a-hole. So you're just like, yeah. okay, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, uh, well, let's, uh, let's focus over on the MVPs. I'm curious where you're going to go with oh, it. Man. I feel like mine got kind of shrugged off, but I'm going to stand by it. Um, my, but, this was, okay, uh, you I, the I definitely struggled, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So for me, I honestly, like I kept coming back to him, even though, yeah, he doesn't get to like end strong. Uh, Eric Bogosian, I really enjoy his villainy in this. Sure. Like he has, he has like a glassy eyed crazy that really works in those early scenes we were talking about with like him just staring into the camera saying like bad jokes basically about killing people. <laughs> like he has this thing that like Stephen King always uses this as like how he describes crazy. It's like, oh, the smile never reaches his eyes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's something like where he's like telling jokes, but it's not in his face. Yes. And it's like it actually really played. Like, and I remember the needle threatening scene, like from when I first saw this on TV, it was just being like, that was crazy. And nothing even happens. They don't do it. He just talks about what would happen if you were to put a hot needle in your eye. Mm-hmm. And that was still like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard as a 10 year old or whatever. That's insane. Yeah. So I don't know his like, I'm way more interested in like seeing talk radio now. And like, it kind of put this dude on my radar a bit, you know, yeah. just to like look into him a bit for sure go see talk radio i'm interested to talk to you about it. i saw talk radio and i thought i thought things like so. er, early oliver stone kind of stuff yeah i, I saw yeah. talk i saw talk radio because of oliver stone and i was like oh man i should watch talk radio and i watched it and i was like oh man okay, okay. uh so yeah. we'll chat we'll chat after you see that uh okay i honestly so nathan bogosian for me yeah. if, it, if the movie if, it, if, the, if i stopped the movie 40 minutes in eric bogosian would have got my mvp in a heartbeat okay but then yeah. as the movie dragged on, like I just felt like again, like that luster left and other, it, they other back things burner him. Yeah. Yeah. And like it sucks yeah. because like he was doing such a good job. But then I'm also sitting here being like, Yeah, but like Tommy Lee brings it the entire movie. Like he's doing okay. the same thing, manic over the top, like inappropriately joking about the lives online, like being super like that. Same thing, like making the joke but the deadness in his eyes. Like Tommy Lee did that in Under Siege, and I'm like so I'm like, that's fresh in my brain too. So it's it's hard. Yeah. So yeah. I, I didn't give it to Eric Bogosian. Uh, mine goes to Matt Reeves, mainly because like, man, like there's the stuff that we're talking about, how much we love about the silliness of this movie. It, it goes into like somebody wrote those ideas down and put those ideas yeah, into no. the script. There's like a good corny techno thriller at the heart of it. Yeah. And like he wrote that. So, and so I'm giving yeah. it to two people, Richard Haddam and uh matt reeves i don't know who richard Haddam is so i'm not going to talk about him he really did some unremarkable things like he did the mothman prophecies and he's involved oh. with this new teen titans live action tv show where they swear and kill people and shoot people in the head like i don't want oh. that that's like yeah. the weird zach snyder first nonsense taking over anyways yeah but matt reeves though and like i know this is a point of contention between you and i because 
we came out of I I don't love the Ape sequels really, but no. I was I was looking at his filmography again. It's like, oh yeah, let me in and Yeah, like and, he did well stuff, he did yeah. the remake, like the remake yeah. of let, let the Right One In, he did the Let Me In. Um yeah. I love Cloverfield and the fact that like that what that launched out for people. I'm very intrigued yeah. by what he's doing with Batman. I love Dawn and 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 War. Like I really do. Did he direct War or did he Yeah, just he wrote write and it? directed War. He only directed oh, Dawn. Okay. He wrote and yeah, directed okay. War. Um I really like that trilogy and I he directed two thirds of it. I love the first one too, but he directed two thirds, so I kinda I give it more to him just because he's there for more of it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like there's some really silly ideas in this movie. He's clearly like got his pulse on what was popular in the nineties and yeah. was writing a screenplay for that. So like all the stuff I talked I about think that it, I loved. It kind of got him in the biz, right? Oh yeah. Like, well, yeah, I think he yeah, did one so. thing before this, but it was like not a big movie at all. It's called Future Shock. Yeah. So so I was surprised to see him in the credits. I, it was like, oh neat. Like I didn't know anything really bore out of this. Yeah. You know. So yeah. So yeah. So he um, yeah. Like all the all the the stuff that we were talking about that we I really liked, kind of like rooted out of the script, like. So I I had a good time with this. So yeah, Matt Reeves is my MVP this episode. Yeah, uh, and I guess just my my runner up is Everett because I really did enjoy what he was doing. But again, the movie kind of backburners him also and doesn't conclude with him well. <laughs> so no. I just want to acknowledge him again because yes. I I was I'm generally happy with him in this. Uh, but yeah, the movie doesn't uh, doesn't make good on that. Um, pretty simple uh, question this week. I thought it was actually kind of obvious one, but I, it might just be a fun little thing. Um, I know it's a weird time for it because we can't really go to movie theaters right now. But like, what are your go to snack combinations oh, for a movie theater it, outing? Easy. Like easiest question yeah. you could have ever asked. Uh, okay. I go to land. I have like two different ones, but yeah. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. So I always have the same one. Like I'm, I'm always excited for it. I guess there's a third item I'll sometimes get, but it's in addition to these two. Okay. And I go to, uh, just to clarify, I go to landmark in Calgary. Yeah. Cause in landmark, so many, like specifically country Hills landmark, like I'm, I'm going to go on to here. This is actually a big question. So I'm going to get into this because I love, <laughs> okay. I love landmark okay. cinemas so much. They're the ones yeah. that first gave us like the comfy chairs in our city. And specifically Country Hills was like the like pilot, one of the pilot programs for the country. And like the chairs there are bigger and a deeper recline than what eventually came out of this like pilot program. Like you go to the newer ones in and Landmark and you go to the Cineplex new ones and they all kind of like a little more narrow. There's a little bit more like friction to the leather, whatever the, the seat covering is. And they don't yeah. nearly recline as deep as they do and just because they like clearly they want to fit more in like with like they set them up and... differently so it just can't go back far enough no it's just yeah. like it doesn't go back far enough like it's just a very different system like it, the chair is even different like the handles and stuff like that it's just not the same okay but anyways hmm. country hills in calgary that's the place to go i don't even live in the north i live in the south and i still go across the city to go there it's worth the drive yeah, yeah. they also brought in the pop machines where you can have like the infinite flavors and all the combinations the freestyle yeah. like yeah put vanilla in your root beer or whatever and unlike cineplex they still do on um, like free refills on the large size of beverage okay so i still like i still go to double triple features and so like having the option of having more popcorn or more pop is like a huge selling factor for me mm-hmm. so my my go-to 
is uh, popcorn, like a regular meat, larger popcorn. No butter. Yeah. No butter. And a Diet Coke. Okay. Very boring. I guess. Like, I, I kind of always shy away from popcorn because I'm always worried about them getting in my teeth and just ruining everything. Oh, that's what you always uh, bring. Uh, you always floss bring picks. Yeah. Yeah, I really need to be smarter about my floss pick because we own them. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, we're already here. And now I'm using a straw to try to like dig in my teeth again because I just forgot. So uh, my favorite, like when it's an option is at the Canyon Meadows Theater. Actually, they have mini donuts and coffee. And I love that because it's just like, oh, this is great. I'm going to sit down with like the Irishman and have donuts and coffee. Like there was something really great about well, that. To be so, like. Kenny Meadows is really like leaned into like they know they're not offering the top tier experience anymore because they don't really even have stadium seating. They're not offering yeah. like the best snacks like when it comes to like popcorn or, or drinks. So they offer mm-hmm. like a, a lar- way larger variety than other places. Like they're doing like like you said like they have mini donuts, they have cotton candy. They even have like uh one of those like Korean hot like corn dogs shops in Cheesy Tales. Is what it's called. Oh, but it's like okay. a, that Korean corn dog fat, like phase fad that's going out there right now, where it's like you can have mozzarella or a, a hot dog inside of a, a corn dog, and it's like you can get like a like a like flaming hot Cheetos corn dog type of thing. Like it's all mm-hmm. these cr- crazy combinations. So yeah, Candy Meadows is like doing a really good job of recognizing like, man, if you want something different for snack, you come to us. Yeah, so that that's the one when I'm there. If it's a standard, I still kind of like French fries if I can get them. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I still would wouldn't mind having some French fries, and then uh, vanilla root beer is my like Coke freestyle go to. Gotcha. Okay, because it's just like a little bit different, not quite cream soda, like it's just a sweet kind of foamy thing. Mm-hmm. So that's my go to soda. I'll uh, yeah. I'll add a hot dog to mine. Okay. I'm a fan of just like a standard hot dog. And then when the Tim Hortons was there at like the show. Oh, Chinook, yeah. Oh, man. That was great. <laughs> it was so great because when the Tim Hortons was there, it was like, so you go to a movie theater and you have this expectation in your head of paying like $25 for food, right? Like it's yeah. crazy. It's like, oh, I can get some bagels or, you yeah, know, you could get go, a tea. And they saw that Tim Hortons that was regular price. So I go get a tea for $1.90 and then a bagel for a buck. And you're like, this is crazy. How is this allowed at a, at a Cineplex? Yeah. And I don't think it. It does is it still there? Well, it's it's still there, but it's everything's it's closed. Nothing's open. <laughs> yeah. So the downside is that like it's returning. at a cineplex, and like yeah. So Nathan, like I guess okay. I don't really want. I'm I'm. Can I spin out of your original question just because I sure have sure because like <laughs> why not? Yeah. You and I, you and I've been going to movies with each other since like what 2008 type of thing. Uh late seven, I think. But yeah, 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 yeah. Late seven. And like you and I were like devoted Cineplex fans. Like we were exclusive. Getting the points, seeing free movies. Oh yeah, that's the yeah. thing. So Empire Theaters was the other one in Calgary at the time because Cineplex bought famous players. And you and I were like, we were fully like, let's go to West Hills and let's go to Chinook. But I think Chinook ended up being our favorite because West Hills didn't have time play. Because we played yeah, time play. And, and just less theaters. So yes. it was, you know, they just wouldn't but have that, some stuff. The less yeah. theater was offsetted by, like, often we would have, like, empty. Like, Friday night would never be busy at West Hills. Like, it was crazy. Right, right. Anyways, yeah. uh, we go to Chinook. And we, you and I were just, like, taking advantage of, like, the systems. Like, buy a ticket for a friend or go with a friend and you get the extra bonus points. Or you would uh, go play time play and we could win an extra 100 points. And, and like, that was back yeah. in the day when, like... Steam points were like a thousand points for a new movie. 
man, like scene points have completely gone down the gutter. Like before like the shutdown. don't matter anymore. Oh, yeah. it was like to the point where I was like, I don't care about this at all. Like, did you hear about the more recent like update to scene points? No. They completely gone away from like, you can get points on every ticket you buy now because back in the day it used to be if you bought like five tickets, you only got scene points for one. Uh, yeah. Now it's for every dollar you spend, you get a scene point. But it's like mm. you get way less scene points per ticket you buy. But you get points per dollar. That I would be so. terrible. Oh, it yeah. Was, I think it was like, like you basically have to wait for the multipliers. Like when you go to Harvey's or something, it's yes. like, well, you got like four points. But if you went after 8 p.m. on a Tuesday after activating this coupon, you get like 300 points. Yes. <laughs> it's like, well, that's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to click on this email. So honestly, yeah. like I just started going to Landmark. Like my friend invited me to Landmark one time uh, up in Country Hills. He's like, just come try out the new seats. And I was like dead in my set. I was like, no, Cineplex, I'm a Cineplex for lifer. I went to Landmark one time and I was like, wait, it's un- it's free refills still? And like mm-hmm. the cups are like big, like they're not small cups. Because like Cineplex got smaller cups, like they're really small. Yeah, they and, shrinkflation. And yeah. yeah, and you go to Landmark and you're like, these chairs are like so comfortable. And if you go to like a small theater at Landmark, the chairs are even bigger. I don't know, man. Like I, I've switched you over a lot of the times. Like we, I, I don't know if it was because oh, yeah. of our choice, but like you would... I would make you go to Landmark. Oh, like, Brittany and I will go down there it, given the option, too, because, yeah, it's just better. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Because I know you're closer or, to... Or I guess there's uh, there's still a theater out East Hills near us that yeah. we'll go to for convenience sometimes. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a Cineplex. Yeah, but yeah. That, that would just... If it pans out. Again, back in when this was commonplace, uh, so who knows <laughs> how That's it'll go. True. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, man, because, like, I don't know, like, this is going to date us, like, put us in a history and time. But yeah. F9 just opened in theaters across the world. And yeah, I saw it breaking. on basketball courts. They're advertising it. And it's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's breaking records. So it means people seem like ready to get back into theaters. They're just waiting for theaters to get open again. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, all right. So that that's our question for this week. Uh, if you want to send us some questions or feedback, uh, we're at OK Video Podcast on Twitter. You can also email Ryan at OKVideo.ca or Nathan at OKVideo.ca. And uh, we're on Instagram, too, but that's really just for fun photos and stuff of uh, our weekly launches of the the new episodes. But uh, that's OK Video Podcast as well, all lowercase. Uh, next week, we're looking at the McCullough family movie classic, uh, Scream 2, <laughs> uh, the perfect sequel. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Bye bye for now.